0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Come on.
1: You're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, presented by Scree Gear Performance Hunting Apparel. And reminder, the risk-free promo Whitetail Starter Bundle offer is still going through October. Buy it, try it up to 14 days, money-back guarantee if you're not totally satisfied. And another thing is also, they just released this week... The new Ptarmigan Ultra Down Pants. So, if you listen to us, you've heard Kyler and I talk about the Ptarmigan Down Jacket that they have that packs real small. It's really lightweight, but it's extremely warm. And they have made a over-pant that accompanies that jacket it rolls up in the same little small stuff sack it's made from the same thing with reinforced knees and butt area so you don't you know uh rip the material or anything like that but they zip all the way up the side and um i think it's going to be a game changer i just got mine in uh this week and i can't wait to try them out when we get some colder weather and speaking of well well before i say that check them out at Screegear.com. speaking of colder weather we're recording this um a little later than we normally do on the week and that brings us into the weekend where i think everybody that's listening just experienced our first real cold front of the season and um i i hunted a little bit we have ronnie Duga with us uh joining us on the podcast for this episode kyler say hello guys they're both on here what's with me. going
2: on how y'all doing guys
1: i know these guys we've talked uh before i hit record um we're all kind of coming right off the back end of our first weekend that actually felt like deer season am i right in saying that
2: that's right oh, yeah. finally finally feels like it
1: yeah so we're going to talk a lot about that and we're also going to kind of just Kind of talk about deer season and where we're at. We're far enough along into it now that I think we've all started to probably gather some opinions, kind of get into a flow and a rhythm and kind of have some feeling about how the season's going to go and what's going on. Maybe that's with, you know, you're starting to kind of figure out your property, the deer that you have, the deer that you're hunting in the areas that you're hunting and all that kind of thing. But, Kyler, like you mentioned to me, um, pri- uh, prior to us uh, starting the recording everything sort of changes when the cold front comes so we're going to talk um a lot about that and some other things like that just kind of a round table conversation if you guys aren't familiar with ronnie dugout ronnie has been on the podcast before and he's a long long standing member of the louisiana bow hunter community and contributor our guests every week are brought to you by our friend brian chamberlain the chamberlain lending team with movement mortgage and if you're in need of a residential loan primary or secondary vacation investment, cash out, rate reduction, renovation for add-ons, any of these kind of needs, contact Brian, nobody does better, low credit scores, potentially 0% down, and the movement mortgage, 42% of their profits go towards charitable organizations through the movement foundation, and that sets them apart Brian is licensed in Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, NMLS number 114586, and Movement Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender, NMLS ID number 39179. Ronnie, thank you for coming back on and jumping on here and having a conversation with us. I'm glad
3: you had me. So, how's your season been so far? Man, it's been pretty rough. I've been at it pretty hard for probably 14 consecutive days. So let me go back a little bit. This is my first year ever hunting a deer lease. I got on it last year, wasn't able to hunt it because of the hurricane. So first year hunting a deer lease and first year putting out gravity feeders, all this, that. So I started getting a picture of a giant 10 point probably three weeks ago and started hunting pretty hard. And I've been at him just nonstop. Every picture I have of him is every night like two or three times comes at night not showing up so last monday i went to go hunt him i had a picture of him at 5 30 and i was sitting in my truck about to walk in and he was at the little feeder thing so i slip in there real quietly got set up in my stand and a giant eight point comes in and he comes right to me and i couldn't help but pass it up and i shot him well as soon as i shot him A big rainstorm come through. It's lightning popping. So, I I hightail it back to the truck. Get away from it. And it went on fire for two hours. Mm. And went back. I I called my brother-in-law. I said, hey, man, I shot a big deer. I I seen exactly where I hit it. He ran off into a big Mayhaw thicket. Let's go see if we can find him. So, we went. And sure enough, we didn't find any blood at all. From where I shot him at, everything. There was no blood. And... We followed to where I last saw him, and like I told my brother-in-law, so the last time I saw him, his nose was about hitting the ground. I mean, he was, he was hurt bad. And this Mayhall flat that he ran in, you probably can't see 10 yards in this whole thing, and it's about a foot of water, the whole entire section of it. So we just made circles through it, and you, I mean, you can barely walk through it as it is, and just searched and searched, and we never found anything. oh man really bad luck (laughs) and and it was it was a big eight point so i i've hunted all all week this area and another little area and um so as as we were looking for this deer i come across a another ridge right on the other side or kind of adjacent to this big mayhaw flat i mean i kind of see this area from where i'm hunting this big ten point And um, it was full of deer signs, grapes, all that. I said, okay. Well, so this morning, I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to go, when I get off of work, I'm going to go and I'm going to go hunt this little area. And last night, I got three different pictures of different times of that big 10 point. I said, oh, I I can't go to that ridge. This big 10 point. He's right here. The last picture was at 430. I said, well, I can't go over there. I got to hunt this big 10. And I hunted there. Well, Lo and behold, we're all across that ridge over there. It was a bigger deer than what this 10-point was. Just a giant. Oh, man. Oh, I watched him the whole time. He walked all the way down the ridge, and there was nothing I can do about it. And, I mean, that's pretty much how my season's been going. Yeah.
2: And you, you've never seen <laughs> him? you never seen that deer? I, I haven't. I've seen
3: that one that I shot, and then that one I saw this morning, that real big one I saw him. And I haven't seen his Big Ten. Um, I'm still going to stay after him. He's real big. Um, I I didn't even know we had a deer this size in the area where I'm at. You got two of them, apparently. Yes. yes.
1: (laughs) Um, What's interesting, this might be kind of not the direction either one of you would have thought that I would have responded. But what strikes me, and maybe it's just how I'm picturing it, but this must be pretty open country, huh? Because I can't. Nowhere I've hunted, nowhere that I have to hunt right now. Can I really see that far to like be looking over in an, into another area that I'm not really hunting? Is it? Are you well, hunting pretty yeah. open stuff?
3: Well, it's all pines, and so you got the. Um, so it's I got one size of big mayhaw flat and a big clear cut, and there's two big bottoms. There's a big creek bottom goes to there full of hardwoods. So I'm hunting all the hardwoods on the edge of the of this oh, okay. so mayhaw flat I creek area. So you can see all all on side of that big flat down in there, and you can see both ridges. I I see.
1: Hey, if you're looking for a new piece of hunting property or you have a piece of property you'd like to list for sale, contact our friend Slade Priest, the hunting land man. Slade's a Realtree United Country land pro, and he's more than just a real estate agent. Slade has spent his entire life in the outdoors managing property, hunting, fishing, and he really prides himself on understanding putting the right buyer and the right seller together when it comes to outdoor recreational hunting property. Slade was recently ranked number two in the the country for t- for 2020 Southern States Realty United Country Hunting Properties. If you are in the market, no one sells more Mississippi and Louisiana and it's not too late to potentially get into a new piece of property even for this hunting season. Slade tells me you can get to closing pretty quickly and he's got some fantastic properties recently listed and more coming all the time. Search the hashtag Hunting Land Man and you'll find all kind of stuff. Slade's got a podcast where you can get all kind of information on land. Buying selling process. So check him out and go find all of his listings at huntinglandmanms.com
2: So let me let me ask you this, Robert, because because this is this is kind of parallel to something that we my, my my buddies at my camp and I are experiencing. So you've got look let, let me let me kind of bait you into this question. Number number one, how old do you think that ten point is? Like what do you guesstimate his age to be?
3: oh six and a half i would guess because only reason i'm saying that is another guy on the lease i was talking to has pictures of him last year and he showed me the pictures and he was a big old mature deer then probably you know i would i would say at least uh four and a half i mean i'm he said five and a half that's why i'm saying six and a half
2: okay and then next next question would be what's the distance like as the crow flies from where you found that sign with that bigger deer? And where your feeder is, how far away are those two things?
0: Uh, probably
2: one probably
3: one 100 and 150 yards, I would say
2: not very far at all at all and so was, so, here, so here's my point. this is what I'm bringing up. this is what I, and I'm happy to we can deep dive down this if y'all want to. but you've been running a camera chasing a specific deer for months now and or not chasing but tracking a specific deer kind of putting your eye on him um and then you come across one that's even bigger that you've never seen until you hunt it in person is that, is that is that right that's correct yeah
3: i haven't so, i haven't seen any other bucks besides that one 10 point and i shot that eight yeah earlier this so
2: so so you've got there's a bunch of interesting things happening number one you're going from public land to lease for your first time in your life, right? right. And so you have more control over an environment than you, you typically do. And number two, you're seeing different deer in person off of a feeder than you are on the feeder. And um, that, that brings up – I'm going to tell a short story and we'll kind of compare stories. I have my friend Watson – um, I'm trying to push him out into scouting and hunting more on his own versus us like tag team in the same spots together. And the reason why is because of where my camp is. We've got like 150,000 acres of public land between four properties, but we always end up on the same property together. So I said, Hey, you go over here, go scout these other places, go hang cameras, go hunt different winds on different days, like go away. Meaning like, go seek out other places and I'll hunt here and I'll go do the same and let's just broaden our horizon. So he hangs a camera. He gets a couple of good pictures, enough to hunt an area. And he hunts this area on Saturday, Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, three hunts in a row. And he sees five times more deer in person on each hunt than he was getting photos of. And I know it's a long drawn out point and and explanation, but I think a lot of times we are like handicapped by these cameras just as much as we're helped because we make decisions on where we should spend our time based on what we're seeing. But a camera captures such a small aspect of what's going on in an area that you you don't see those deer that are 150 yards away, 50 yards away. Yeah, I know it's a really long, so, drawn out point, but, but it's, it's a that's very really good point.
1: But it's a very good point, and I, I, I had it, it's. We didn't talk about this. We did not plan this right at all. This is just how this conversation went. So I had a situation that is an absolute perfect um, addition to this conversation that happened to me Saturday. So I've I haven't hunted. I'm just taking my son hunting, but my friend. Derek that hunts with me on the property by my house, he killed a doe, uh, Saturday morning. And so Ronnie, just so, you know, to kind of preface this being that you're just getting into this, the, the private land and the feeders and the cameras are going to drive you crazy coming from, because you know, all this stuff that we're talking about, it's very real. Um, I've been dealing with, for the last two months, Kyler, um, what you're talking about where I'm putting cameras in certain areas on my private property and I'm trying to take inventory and I'm not trying to necessarily always make hunting decisions. I'm trying to make management decisions. Like how many adult does do I think I have, you know, in this area or on the whole property collaboratively amongst all the cameras, you know, inventory of bucks and all this kind of stuff. And, and basically what do you do? You know, you put something, you, you find some mm. kind of sign or you put some kind of feed on the ground, you put a camera on it and you hope that the deer comes by it, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And that
1: they frequent it enough for you to start getting a trend of, okay, this is the same doe. Obviously, bucks are easier to identify, but, you know, this is the same doe and yearling. This is the same two does with, with two fawns and whatever. And you start trying to make a an estimation. So I've been dealing with this situation myself where it's been so very sporadic that it's hard to figure some of that out and i'm like i just don't feel like the numbers of deer are what they should be based off of the number of cameras running all that so anyway fast forward to saturday morning uh derek's hunting and he kills a doe so i go help him get the doe out and i find out i thought he was on a different stand where i have a cellular camera And I actually sent him a picture of a little small eight point that walked past that stand while he was hunting. And I said, hey, don't, uh, you know, uh, something, I said something like cute little guy, isn't it? Or something like that. It's a little bitty eight point that I get pictures of all the time. And he goes, yeah, he didn't hang around long. Now, mind you, he's on another stand where there's another cellular camera. Okay. So story comes, he texts me, big doe just came by me. I got drawn back, but I didn't have a clean shot. She walked off. A little while later, he texts me, doe down, shot a doe. She didn't run very far. I see her. She's down. I go help him. So, he sees, in this hunt, he sees a small eight point, and he sees six adult does. I didn't get a picture on that camera of any of these deer. It didn't take a picture Mm -hmm. of any of them that walked right past it. The deer that, it turns out, the deer I sent him a picture of, because I thought he was in a different stand wasn't the deer that he thought I was talking about when I sent the picture. He thought he was looking at the deer that had just walked past him because they're about the same size. Yeah. And on the other point about (laughs) the does even, I've been thinking, like, where are six adult does, five walking together? I don't have that anywhere. And I've been running cameras for two months with feeders and rice bran and everything else that you do. To feed and inventory your deer, and I'm like, that throws me all off because I've been thinking I've got two or three does regular on this side of the property, and maybe three or four does over here on this side of the property, and here right in the middle you got six in one hunt. Now, what's the chances that one guy in the in the right dead in the middle of 400 acres saw the only six adult does I've been taking pictures of? Not very, right. not very good, right? So, um, it is. It's very confusing and hard to figure out what do you do when that happens and I've told the story before on a lease that I had a long time ago I had a camera in a spot that was just a highway of activity I mean a highway of activity hogs it was in the swamp so there's a lot of hogs and a lot of deer turkeys everything and I would check that camera every weekend when I went to the camp and there would be thousands of pictures of it and there wasn't even feed in front of it it was it was just a highway and I would get literally 1,500-something pictures a week. And I sat in that stand one Sunday morning, and I watched with my own two eyes, 13 does and eight hogs walk in front of that camera. I pulled the card after the hunt and didn't take a single picture of them. But I'm taking 1,500 a week. If I'm taking 1,500 a week and I just watched 21 animals walk past and it didn't even take a picture of them, how many am I
3: missing? Yep. Yep. That's kind of how it is where sure. I'm at. Seems like it sure. at least.
2: Ronnie, do you, think, do you think that you've got deer that are essentially purposely skirting around your feed site um, for whatever reason? But obviously, they're not coming in like that 10-point is. The 10-point doesn't have a problem with it. But the 8-point right. and, the, and, the, and the bigger deer that you found, you haven't seen them on camera. No. So that's exactly what I
3: was thinking. And you, and right now, our rut's just now kicking off, too. So I'm kind of halfway thinking that could be some of it going on. But last night, you know, at the cold night, I had probably four does that came in that I've never seen on my camera before. Because I had one doe and that big 10-point, and my little boy shot that doe uh, probably a week and a half ago. So I just had that 10-point and two little yearlings. Now, last night, I had four different does come in. So I imagine there's a lot of deer in that area that could be skirting all the way around it, not even coming to it. So, I mean, it is a big old box, you know, for a gravity feeder. But. So, yeah. well,
1: okay, I've used a bunch of different brands of trail cameras. And if I'm being honest, I've experienced this in some way or shape or form on every different one, from expensive to the cheapest one I could find at Walmart. So how many times... It's hard, it's hard to imagine it at a feeder because they spend so much time in front of it. But how much, I mean, what do you guys think? How much could you attribute to the deer skirting it or the cameras being far less reliable than we even think they are?
2: Ronnie, you go first because I had my answer. You go first.
3: I, I would say more the deer skirting it because, I mean, the camera works great. I mean, the first little fox squirrel that jumps on the feeder, it takes a picture of it the whole time. Or even like when a little fawn walks by, or takes a picture. I mean, it, I think it does a great job. I don't. I really don't think a deer is going to walk in front of it and it's not going to get a picture of it. Uh, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. I think it's more along the lines of skirting the the camera and feeder.
1: Hey guys, I want to take a minute to tell you about the newest supporter of our podcast, Free Bird Coffee Company. Free Bird Coffee is a Louisiana-based small business, and it's veteran-owned and operated by three lifelong friends that love the great outdoors as much as they love great coffee. All three guys are big hunters and outdoorsmen and part of the Louisiana bowhunter community, with one of them still serving our country as active-duty military. They specialize in roasting small-batch, 100% organic, single-origin, rainforest alliance-certified coffee. Their coffee is a small-batch roasted, so it doesn't sit on the shelves for months like many of the big-bag coffees. This guarantees its freshness and gives it a taste that separates it from the rest. Freebird offers three different roasts, a medium roast, a French roast, and a high-caffeine roast, all in unique, eye-catching, outdoor-branded packaging. Freebird Coffee Company also offers a line of apparel and merchandise, and you can check them out at FreebirdCoffee.com. Currently, Freebird Coffee is distributed online only. However, they're looking to get into stores, and expand expand their presence. So if you own a store or you know someone who has a store and would like to carry Freebird Coffee, reach out and get in touch with them. I can tell you my wife and I are both big coffee drinkers, and we brewed a pot of the French roast recently, and I was very impressed. So check them out online at FreebirdCoffeeCompany.com and follow them on Instagram at FreebirdCoffeeCO and use the discount code FREEDOM for 10% off your purchase. Freebird Coffee, the best damn coffee in the world.
2: Tyler. So, uh, my take is I do think that there are some brands, <clears throat> especially some ca- cell cameras, that are better and also worse at transmitting those photos. It's not so much that it doesn't take them, it's whether or not you actually get them or not. I, um, uh, this past week, I kind of made some stories about me putting out a bunch of Tacticams, which are very hard to get right now. Um, But I, I, I pretty, I went pretty heavy on an investment last year with coverts. I bought six coverts. There's not a lot of money. I mean, sorry, there is a lot of money, is a lot of money. And, and when you buy a $289 cell camera with GPS, I mean, you damn near expect these things to like make you a sandwich also, uh, not just send you pictures because they're so damn expensive. Well, I started in November, um, I started having transmission problems where I was getting photos, but a lot of times a photo would be like the the ass end of a deer or it would be that really frustrating thing where you get two thirds of the deer, but the head's cut off and the deer made it all the way across the frame of the picture, but didn't click it until the didn't take the picture until the very end. So you don't know what it was. So that started to happen a lot. And I'm was running, I'm running the, Covert Blackhawk, um, like twenty MP or something like that. Great cameras didn't take um, photos. It's almost like the camera didn't wake up fast enough. Was it wasn't that it took pictures late or slow? It was that it, like it was it wasn't waking up fast enough and then taking the photo. And so um, I sold those to a friend of mine because he puts feeders out. And he feeds exclusively. And there's a big difference between how I'm going to use those cameras and how he's going to use those cameras. Anytime he gets a picture of a deer, he's going to get 40 photos of it every time that deer steps in front of it. Me, where I'm putting them on trails and crossings and under a feed tree, things like that, I'm going to get one photo, maybe two, if I get a photo at all. And so when I say I sold them to a friend of mine, I went and got them out of the woods today. And the last camera that I went out and got out of the woods today, I walked straight up to it, straight from like down sight of it, if that makes sense, right up to it. And I never got a photo of myself sent to my phone. The other five sent pictures to me at least some point in time, but I was well into the, like I I had made pretty good progress getting there. Um, and it should have gotten a photo of me late, much further back, but it wasn't. So I'm, I'm with you lock that, Something's not it, right. It, well, I've been through it all. I've been through the... I've been on... on I've done firmware updates. I've talked to Covert about it. I've changed sensitivity settings. I've changed all the things you can change. And my conclusion is on... And I'm not bashing them. This is just my experience. On those model cameras with that company, it did not work for the way that I use trail cameras on public land. And it's ballsy putting a covert on public land in the first place let's be honest but i mean i had six out last year and six out for the beginning of this year and haven't had any problems um and even when people find them they don't mess with them like granted they're pretty high but i just that's why i switched to Tacticam for this season i I was like there has to be something that actually takes a photo and sends it you know that doesn't Mm -hmm. cost an arm and a leg without going to like reconyx or something going even more expensive yeah I, um
1: do you think do you think the tacticam is i mean obviously you're just trying it out but i mean typically i mean uh, not typically but um tacticam you I'm, I'm saying, are you using the reveal the tacticam reveal
2: cameras i've got the reveal x i just put them out i've got how many do i have in the woods right now Nine, ten, I think, on a couple couple of different properties. I've, I put out like five more today, all over the get, scat- like just like scatter bombing this yeah. place, just to just to find bucks and, and see if I can find something moving at any point in time, so I can hone in on that area more. But um yeah, so so let me tell you about the way I test these because you were telling Ronnie, he was like, public land was going to drive him, private land was going to drive him crazy because of intel and, and, and um, photos and whatnot. But this is what was driving me crazy. I'm in a place that has new deer tracks, new deer shit on the ground in front of my camera, chewed up acorns, heavily walked trail, heavily walked crossing, and I don't have any photos being sent to my phone. Like, this is driving me crazy. And so what I would do when I would test them, I would um stand off to the side of the camera I turn it on I'd I'd make sure that it went through it's like you know uh setup mode before it like actually goes active like the 10 seconds or the 30 seconds it takes for a camera to like be ready to be triggered and then I would do a thing where I would throw my hand in front of the camera and I would count with my fingers one two three four five and I would see in the photo how long it took based on how many fingers i was holding out for it to snap a photo and a lot of times it was on three or you could see my finger opening from three to four or something like that and i'm like dude why does this is not 0.65 trigger speed that they're proclaiming yeah. This is four second trigger speed. This is like f- like if you 've got a deer that just is walking, not running but not feeding and just on a clip just steady walking along, that is enough time to get through and out of the frame and get a picture of nothing yeah. and This was happening continually continually, and so um you know i 'll <laughs> say this those damn twenty eight dollar Tascos from Walmart mm-hmm. are like the the best mm-hmm disposable forget about it on a tree and don't care you know camera there was that thing catches everything um i even had some friends that were using the spy point cell link with that camera and it was like a good combo as long as you set the cell link up properly but um anyway long story short for what you kind of how you set up this question lock yes you can miss pictures entirely and you have a totally different perception over an area that's actually very good, but you think nothing's happening there. Yeah. And it's very frustrating. Yeah. Very frustrating.
1: I, I want to add a few things to it, and then we'll move on to – to, to a, 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 trail cameras really wasn't – not that we had an agenda, <laughs> but trail cameras was never mentioned. But anyway, um, so so first, the first thing I'll say is I've used three different brand cellular cameras since they became – Popular in the market I've used spy point covert and now I'm using the Moultrie Delta cam and all of those cameras that I've had and, and still have they they save a copy of the pictures that they take on their SD card and I've compared those against the app and I've never had a problem with a camera taking a picture and not sending it to me I have had problems with cameras not transmitting but once I check the card the, the the pictures are there so I am seeing every every time it take it took a picture just it may not be coming to my phone if the batteries get low or if I've had some other issues that so that that's been my experience with that but to my initial point and 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 for my answer to, to the question that I posed to both of you I think it's both I do I think that there are deer that are just they're just there's deer that you know they don't go into a feed pile and they don't go to feeders you know i don't so much buy into some of these theories that people have that some deer have a, a, a super sense and they can they can sense the electronics or they can hear it or they can whatever because i've watched too many deer around cameras and they don't ever seem to pay them any attention whatsoever you know and i just mm-hmm. i don't think that they are like, I don't think there's a, a big mature buck on your property with spidey sense, and he's like, oh, I can sense there's an electronic device within 50 yards of me, and so he goes the other way. I don't think that, Then some people do. I've I've, he- I've heard and read things like that. I don't believe that, but I do think that there are some deer that just simply aren't as visible, not only from a tree stand, but also from a camera. They're just not. For whatever reason, the, the, they're they're more wary, or their patterns are just different from the 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 majority of the deer in the herd, and you just don't get them in your common areas because they just act differently. But I think the trail cam industry as a whole has a much bigger gap in refining its technology than people realize, and I'll say that for this very reason. Going back to before there was ever such a thing as a trail cam, going all the way back to when I had cameras that had big double D batteries and actually flashed and scared the hell out of the deer when they went off at night. Mm-hmm. Going all the way back to those cameras, fast-forwarding all the way to today with all the new technology that we have and cellular technology and all that, I have had, on more occasions than I can even come up with a, an estimate on, I have had cameras in locations where if you never hunted that location, you would think the same thing Ronnie just said. It takes pictures of squirrels. It takes pictures of birds. It's there's. It takes so many pictures of deer. On a weekly basis, that I can't imagine there's any more deer there. I mean, that's got to be all the deer that are passing through here, or all the deer that are coming. Because, I mean, you just you're you're totally satisfied with it because you're getting tons and tons of pictures of all kinds of stuff. But I've had that for over a decade now, and I've had more than I can count where they're in a location where I have sat and hunted and watched deer spend inordinate amount of time in front of that camera, and it didn't take their picture. Mm -hmm. And I checked that, and it's not like some, all the, it just so happened that that was the day the camera quit working. These are spots where it took pictures two hours before, it took pictures later that day. It took, it took some pictures of the deer that I was looking at, but then other deer later in the morning, it didn't take pictures of, you know, or something like that. I've had that happen so many times that I am, I just and and it, I don't think it's one of those things that as a consumer in on the consumer end of it it's 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 going to it's a really hard thing to challenge the industry with because to your point Ronnie most everybody that puts them on a feeder goes well I mean it's taking pictures of a lot of stuff but is it taking a picture of everything you know um Mm -hmm. and and so you bring it in there like well i mean how can you prove unless you were sitting there and you can somehow how can you prove it's not taking pictures because you got all these pictures it took how do you how can you prove it's not taking pictures well i'm i'm obviously you can't go say well i sat in the stand saturday and i saw five or six deer around there that i've never seen on camera well they're gonna go well so you know i mean like that's that that's not going to work
2: so i just don't think they're that reliable i hit a point with with um with covert and i did this at the end of last season which is w- where i took a tasco and i put it on the same tree as a covert and i would run it for like a week and i would after one week i would go compare photos of what i was sent and then also what tasco took and there's a couple of little asterisks there that, that need to be mentioned because you know f- for this study if you will and that's that um a covert and then also taxicam does this If you have your camera on multi-shot burst, it will only send one of those pictures. Covert sends you the first one. So if you have it on three-shot burst, that means there's two photos on your phone that you didn't get to your phone, but but it sends the first one. Tacticam sends the second photo, which seems to be a much better process because I'm actually getting transmitted photos of centered animals in the frame. It's not off to one side, left or right. Um, and so I, I did do that last year. I had a Tasco $20, $20, camera and a $290 camera. And the $28 one's taking pictures like it's life depends on it. And the Tasco, I mean, the covert's it's kind of like, eh, I might send this one. And, and that's kind of what I, I was like, is there a firmware update I need to do? Is there something that I've got to fix? But it just wasn't sending Damn. at all. It was driving me crazy. So, um, anyway, uh, yeah, sorry for that rabbit hole, but when, Rob, when, when Ronnie was telling us about the deer they saw in person, actually observing in real time, it reminded me of my buddy Watson seeing a ton of deer, ton of deer this weekend in person, and I didn't even hunt where I had a camera because I didn't have anything on camera any, anywhere. I hunted in blind and I had, I had some pretty good hunts. Forgot my release, but that's another story. Um, but um, anyway, it's interesting. It's interesting what you think is happening in an area based on the intel that you've purchased and depend on, like your game cams, and what actually happens. Yeah. From your in, you know, in person experience, it's kind
1: of uh, it's kind of funny that like in this conversation, we all three had a situation with ourselves or someone that we were hunting with that experienced this, you know, Ronnie hunted, saw deer in an area that he doesn't have pictures of. I have a friend sitting on one of my stands in front of one of my cameras who kills a deer and watches other deer. And I don't get a picture of any of them. You have, you know, Watson going out and seeing all these deer that he don't have on camera. So it, it's a very relevant, I mean, it's kind of relevant to what we're talking about, which is kind of mid October update is kind of what we're, what we kind of tag things as. And mm-hmm. um, so I think it's relevant. And the last thing I want to add to it is, uh, you know, just for if nobody else has noticed this, and, and Kyler, I, I couldn't help but think about it the whole time while you were talking. I've had this happen with every single cellular and, and some regular cams too, but but more so with the sailors Every single one I've ever owned, and that's including the Moultries, they're already starting to do this after two months. They work really good the first couple of sets of batteries. The first set of batteries when they're brand new. They start slowing down. Every single one I've ever had, when I bought it and I set it up the first time and everything was great. And then the second year, the pictures are, they're missing deer or they're they're slow or this or that. And it's like, you know, it's... new SD cards, new batteries, firmware updates, all that. It's just like none of that fixes it. It's just like they just, I don't know what it is, but I've never had one that worked as well in its second or third run as it did in its first. And and maybe, maybe not the second or third, maybe it's fifth or sixth, or maybe it's the second season as opposed to the first season, but I've never had one that worked as well once they start to age. And I don't know why that is. But, um, anyway, something to kind of pay attention to if you're running cell cameras. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit more about, um, we alluded to the fact that we're, we're coming off the end of our first real cold front and, um, Kyler, you mentioned earlier that, that it really kind of, it starts to change things. And Ronnie, you, you alluded to the fact that you felt like maybe some of the activity that you saw had something to do with rut cycle and weather maybe not so much that the deer just not showing up on camera but maybe they're just showing up more right now so Kyler I I feel the I personally haven't seen this weekend I didn't see a big change as a matter of fact and and just talking about I haven't hunted much I didn't hunt Harley at all when it was hot but I've actually had seen less activity this weekend than i have the last couple of weeks when it really? was hotter weather on camera and generally speak i can't say so much about sitting in this tree stand but just seeing deer going in and out and deer on camera when it was hot weather the first two weeks of the season i promise you if i had wanted to which i'm i'm not that hard about it these days i don't you know i don't hunt much in the hot weather i could have killed a deer at 10 or ten thirty in the morning pretty much any day the first two weeks of the season i had multiple cameras that were taking pictures of deer on a regular feeding pattern bucks and does between nine thirty and ten thirty in the morning that stopped with this front it stopped
2: hmm.
1: so but um let's talk a little bit about how the how the woods are changing and how hunting season changes when this happens so you wanted to uh you kind of mentioned that was kind of a good jumping off point for that um ronnie I'm interested, you mentioned you felt like your rut cycle was kind of getting started. Do you think that has to do with this weather, or is that just your area?
3: No, this is just our area. It's usually in the, in the middle of October. It always kicks off. So, okay. So And it just, just so happens we had this cold front. Do so, you think that
1: assisted, assisted things?
3: Do I you believe did. that? So last night is when I got a lot of pictures of does coming through that I haven't seen at all that just came through. And that was just mm-hmm. a, last night. And um, I think that has to do with the cold front. Yeah. Now, I think the bucks moving around, or the new bucks moving in the area, I say new bucks, I don't know. Um, I think that probably has to do with the rut. I think. But um, I can't really say. So, hmm. Well, I'd say, like,
1: every year is a little bit different. Um, the mass crop situation the browse situation is always a little bit different and i think in the south where we're at and i I say the south i'm not i'm talking about north louisiana mississippi alabama south louisiana i'm talking about kind of the whole gulf states region um i think our fall as it pertains to our mass crop and our browse and when that starts to die off and how much of it we get and don't get and all those kind of patterns i think they're affected a lot by our summer weather because our tropical weather is you know some some years it's basically non-existent some years it's crazy you know so i think that has a big thing to do with it but i grew up in natchez mississippi and for those that are familiar the third weekend of october which which is this weekend there's the miss you know they always have the big balloon race festival in natchez and i can remember to this you know uh, this weekend always felt like th- when things started to change. And it typically, most every year, there was we were starting to get more cool weather by this point. Some years colder than others. But it always seemed like by this time, prior to this, you had to either be hunting some really hot food source or some food source that you created, and you were basically doing the southern version of hunting deer on a feed pattern up in the mi- in the Midwest where they're coming to bean fields and stuff like that. You're hunting some food source on a summer pattern. And then by the third weekend of October, it was like the first weekend where you felt like, hey, I might shoot that first doe of the year browsing on acorns this morning because they started to change. You know, um, Kyler, is that, is that kind of... Some of that's kind of what you had alluded to earlier uh, when we were talking about this episode.
2: Yeah, we, we were talking about um, comparing this season so far to the beginning of last season. And um, last season, we started opening morning with a 50-degree cool front. Really good. And, and, and I remember that so vividly because huge topic for the first week of the season was look at how many velvet bucks were killed that weekend. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking about people shooting bucks in velvet that have never even seen a buck in velvet, much less had a shot at one. And now they're up on their feet walking around at 9am on a Saturday morning on October 1st. It's Just something that doesn't happen much down here. And, um, but last season, I remember a few things pretty vividly compared to right now in this season. Number one, the persimmon trees we're almost done dropping if they weren't done dropping by opening weekend last year for me, where I am. And um, I'm finding a lot of persimmon trees now that aren't, not, not only are they still dropping, it feels like I, I put a camera one of my most active cameras is over a large persimmon tree. I would say, I would say it's about maybe 10 inches in diameter, which is a pretty big persimmon tree. Um, and I feel like I put that camera there on its first day or two of dropping because every single photo since has been, it's just all day action. It's coyotes, it's bobcats. It's not that bobcats are eating them, but I'm seeing bobcats on camera. I don't know if they're just like waiting for something to come in so they can jump out on it. Um, Foxes, does, big bucks. Today I had the biggest buck I have on camera Came out at 6.52 this morning, which is well in a shooting light. And then he came back at 4.15 this afternoon, and he's eating a persimmon. And so this must be, this, this must be the best damn persimmon tree on the planet because that's not my experience with persimmons. Like I've never seen a persimmon my, personally attract that wide of an array of animals throughout every day. Coyotes at one. Of, I had a group of coyotes that come every day from 11.30 to 1.00. And, um, anyway, um, uh, and, and, and then I'm mean, a big bucket of there now this, that afternoon, it was like, they would take turns, taking a number, um, checking out the tree. So now the persimmons two weeks into the season are starting to drop. Whereas last season they were over with by opening weekend done. It wasn't worth, it wasn't a good plan was to, to have a plan, you know, around a persimmon tree or a persimmon grove. The other thing is some of the acorn trees. <laughs> we call them acorn trees. Some of the oak, oak trees are just now starting to drop. I have not yet, in two weeks, found a, a white oak or a swamp oak with those big golf ball sized acorns. I haven't found one that's dropping yet. Like either they're all dry or they're all holding on tight and they're not dropping anything yet. And that's, that sucks for me because that's like, to me, that's deer candy you know, that's, I, I think they would rather eat those than a red oak or a live oak acorn, those tiny little, you know, button sized ones that are green. I think they'd rather eat a um, a swamp oak or a white oak than a, um, than, uh, the, than one of the other types. Or so even though, even like the little striped ones that look like fat footballs, I don't know what they're called. Um, but, just things are late this year, but I'm glad it's starting to finally normalize. If that makes sense. Um, so, I'll tell you a trick that I do for comparison is whenever I'm whenever I mark a tree down, and I still use Hunt Stand. I don't use Onyx, not not because I don't like it, but just because I started using Hunt Stand so long ago, I have so much info in there, I can't get really get away from it. Um, but when I drop a pin, I'll throw info. Of like what what it is is either a trail camera or a food source or a trail crossing or whatever and then I'll put a note. So I'll say, you know, um swamp oak dropping good 1021 20 uh, of 21. Um or uh, you know, finding this oak tree um just starting to drop lots of acorns be ready in 2 weeks. And so like after a couple of years, I'll get a comparison of what was this tree doing this time last year? And is it going to do the same thing or not? Cause I'm going to a lot of places that hunted last year that are not worth sitting on. I have no sign and the trees are not dropping like they were last year. And last year you couldn't beat me out of that place with a stick, you know? Um, so very just contrasting years, I guess is, is what's interesting uh, about the season so far.
1: I, I have a, a, a pretty in depth, set of experiences with persimmons because from the time I got out of college until about 7 or 8 years ago uh, for for about 10 to 12 years I hunted a property back home along the Mississippi River that that was absolutely covered in persimmon trees um and so you know you mentioned your perception um uh, based off past experience see my perception is absolutely different because for us persimmon trees were the deer candy when a persimmon tree is right there's no better place in the world at least in the part of the world that i hunted there was no better place in the world to kill a deer than on a drop in persimmon tree that the I've,
2: I've heard that the, and this ha- is my first experience so, in that proving true yeah
1: so the hardest part about them and, and and now and so let me say this this weekend by the third weekend in 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 october almost every year by the third weekend october most of the persimmon trees were done they were the first you know they were trees that you hunted open opening weekend the first 10 to 15 days of the season most mm-hmm. every year by this point in the season they were the you know just a few left on some trees they were mostly done in some years they would be done the first week of the season some years they'd hold on till the middle of October and what I always was told and what I kind of experienced myself is it has it has to do with with uh, rainfall and water so there how much how much rain the area gets if it's in a flood prone area whether it floods or how much it floods when it floods so the persimmons is, is and I know that's the case with lots of plants and all but the persimmons apparently from what i've always been told and what it seemed to be for me um the the rainfall and all that kind of stuff had a lot to do with how many you got and 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 what cycle they were on in terms of how long they took to get ripe and all that kind of stuff um and i and i can't i'm not even going to try to remember i haven't hunted over persimmon trees in a long time so i'm not even trying to remember what it is wet or dry or, or whatnot but um the hardest part about hunting persimmon trees in the early season when they're really hot, when they're like that persimmon tree you're talking about where there's something there all the time, is that they are there all the time. Like, they're 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 there, um, and it's hard to get in a stand because they're bedded very close to them because they get up and come eat them and leave and eat them and leave yep. all day long, all day, all night. Yep. And they'll do that for five or six days until the tree's, you know, done, and then they'll move on to the next one um and that's you know that's everything the hogs the deer um the the predators i don't know if they're just because there's a lot of stuff around you know uh or or if they actually eat them too i don't know but so
2: i'm
1: sure they eat them i mean coyotes eat sweet feed you know they eat they eat rice they eat anything a coyote will literally eat anything so i mean his preference is fresh meat but he'll eat anything um so that that's my perception of them, and I also agree with you on the bigger the bigger acorns. And and in my experience, those always tend to to drop later. But my observation this weekend, uh, for for what I'm used to, and and not this just this weekend, but um, a week ago as well, I was up in Mississippi doing some work on our property up there, and I've actually noticed the acorns dropping earlier than I'm used to. Now, not necessarily the big acorns, but just any and all acorns. I've, they were falling. And I'm used to that hat starting kind of later than I feel like it is this year. And, again, I just think that I, – I think it's it definitely has – it plays major factors into how we hunt as October bow hunters. But I, I really think it just all has to do with weather over the summer leading up to this point.
2: Sure, I agree.
1: You know, and, and so um, I heard something, Ronnie, we're kind of back to you on 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 your buck situation and, and the deer that you're seeing and you're you're in a different situation because you're actually starting to experience a rut which is not something that a lot of the state you know there's there's pockets in the state that do this in october but but not a lot of the state um i was watching the Jury outdoors tv show the other day i had some of them um dvr and i didn't have anything else to watch and so um I'm watching some of the ones I DVR'd over the last couple months, and I was watching some of the early season episodes, and one of them made a statement that it's really simple, but it is well stated for exactly how I feel and what I've tried to say to people um, going back to my Missouri hunt in September where the moon phase was terrible, but the weather was perfect, and which is why I was there. And, you know, he said, weather... Trump's moon, weather trumps moon, and especially in early season. I I wonder, uh, I'm just curious your guys' thought about that. I agree with that. I think that in almost every case, but especially earlier season when you're hunting feeding patterns and not other sorts of patterns, weather trumps everything.
2: Yeah, I don't disagree.
3: Yeah, I feel the same way always try to line up three things what I think that makes it the best situation is your moon weather and your rut cycle and I always try to put if I can line all three of them together it's, it's just me it's like the perfect hunt but sometimes you don't have any of them that line up I mean but yeah should you but should you stay home I mean I, I don't think so but but I mean that's See, I, how I
1: about it i feel a little differently about that uh i, I and not i don't want to say i feel differently about that how i feel is if you spend the time and the money to afford yourself the freedom to participate in your legal right to go out and hunt then if you want to go hunting then you should if you're not imposing on anyone or you're not pushing any limits that you shouldn't push then hunt whenever you want to is really what i think but In, in conversation, in this, for the, for the purpose of this conversation, I have I thought about this when I was sitting in the stand today and I'm, I'm sitting there with my son and he's asleep because we haven't seen any deer. And, um, we had high anticipation about this weekend and we only saw like one doe and a yearling all weekend. And, um, I thought to myself, it feels so nice outside. It's such a nice day for this time of year and i and and i was just kind of thinking like if i were hunting yeah obviously i'm hunting a little different with him a a 12 year old trying to kill his first deer with a boat i would probably choose a different spot if i were going hunting i was thinking about those kind of things and i thought about how much i've changed as a hunter since i was a teenager in college a, a younger guy that was just i was it was authentic My passion and my desire to hunt was authentic, but in some ways it was obligatory. And the way that I've changed is I don't hunt when the situation's not right. I don't hunt when I don't have a plan for why I'm hunting, where I'm hunting, when I'm hunting. I don't hunt just because I have the day off or just because it's the weekend and I don't have anything keeping me from hunting. And I've actually become more content and i still have that weird almost conviction or guilt when i'm sitting around doing something and not hunting when there's when i could be and the re- but the reason i'm not is because the weather's just not that good and i don't really have a plan for hunting this day you know the rut like to your point the rut cycle's not good maybe the weather's okay but the moon's not good you know, the rut cycle's not in a place where I want to go intrude on an area for no reason because there's not going to be a deer in there doing what I would be hunting him doing. All of those things and I I don't know. I, I I feel like I have far less frustrating, unsuccessful hunts. And though I still battle a little bit of that self conscious conviction about it's hunting season, you know, why aren't you going hunting? Some of that sometimes creeps in overall at the end of the season, I'm not worn out, frustrated about everything that went wrong, and and kind of like I have been in some years where I just hunted myself half to death, and by January I was just, you know, burnt. So, I I don't know. I I've, I've kind of changed in that regard. So weekends like this get me excited because these kind of weekends give me the chance to start looking at the big picture that I've been trying to put together for months now. And start formulating plans, and make me actually want to go get in the stand.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I heard I
3: heard um, someone say today that this cold weather has the hunters moving more than than the deer moving this weekend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, I, I, and I, I think that's pretty true. I,
1: well, so what do you... I'm curious to know what each of your responses to this, but I can't help but wonder yeah. how many guys have burnt the woods down for the last 17 days because the season was open. And they didn't experience the success that they should have on the first really good weekend because of the pressure that they put on it unnecessarily because they felt like they just had to be in a tree and they can't kill them from the couch. How many of of those guys do you think are out there?
3: A lot. I would say majority of them.
1: What do you think, Kyler?
2: Yeah, it's, it's called principle hunting. You're hunting because you're hunting on of principle. Um, you're hunting, like you said, you have the day off. Your, your work schedule allowed you to go hunting on an 87 degree day with a south wind, and that wasn't ideal. But I, w- I will say that when I, when I hear you say that, <clears throat> I think um, that's, a, that's a really big difference in mindset between like a public land hunter and a private land hunter. On, on private land, you can ruin a 300-acre lease by making bad decisions like that pretty quickly. Um, on public land, you might have a place that is only great on a west wind and if you hung a camera there, you might only see movement uh, between 11 and 2 p.m. and on hot days. I mean, I, I kind of subscribe to the idea that deer are moving every single day all over the place you just got to find a place that allows you to hunt a certain mainly wind condition and then weather at, you know secondary um that, that's my thought you know a deer there's deer aren't just going to lay down because it's hot they're not going to go as far but they're going to move at some point in time during that day um the problem early season is that they're going to lay down like you were saying about persimmon trees earlier can you get in close to where you think they are without blowing them out that's the big the big what the big question. Yeah. Um, they're not traveling hundreds of yards, thousands of yards to go find food. Like you said, you've got tiny little pin oaks dropping acorns in halfway through September, they'll lay down in a in a, a thicket right next to that, get up and walk twenty yards, eat, go back and lay down. That might be the most movement you see. Um, so I agree with you you're, what you're doing is you're like optimizing your deer hunting in a sense, I mean, like you're optimizing your time in the woods based off of weather conditions and um, intel that you have from your property. But the reason why I'm running so many cell cams this year is because I'm trying to take an I'm, I'm trying to take an inventory of a lot of areas in order to hone in on a few and um there's something i think this was the second podcast we we did it with um uh dr sullivan killed that big deer in st francisville a couple years ago and travis links was on there and he said this and this has been like stuck in my head ever since if you want to kill a big deer you have to hunt where there's a big deer otherwise you're just sitting in the woods hoping a big deer morphs out of nowhere and And so I'm trying to do this really big scatter project of cameras in order to find something worth hunting and then hone in from that point on. And, um, I think that, I think that those deer are going to move no matter what, but the degree of which how far they move is based on the weather.
1: That's fair. Ronnie, you get to, I, I don't, I mean, I don't obviously don't know your personal life uh, that well, but just from knowing you and talking to you, I mean, you get to hunt a lot. I mean, uh, do you you yeah. you see that in in the in your frequency?
3: Yeah, and I do get to hunt a lot. I work ship work, and I'm I'm able to hunt um, a lot. I mean, shoot, I I have seven days consecutive off every month. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of movement already this this year but you got to take an effect like how we have an early rut so i was going to ask you so i I ran into the situation last year in the midwest where the rut was going on and it was in the mid 80s almost the whole time i was up there what would you do in that type of situation say you're you're in the rut and you're dealing with these hots you know these hot temperatures and everything kind of like how you're saying you don't want to blow a spot out but you know that's the only up. you know, all the opportunities yeah. you have or all you have to, to it's, do that. It's
1: hard because my experience with the rut is, and as it pertains to what you're asking, uh, my experience with the rut is bucks, as crazy as they get and as careless as they get, they're still the same animal and they still have that instinct and... Whether it's the doe that's driving it or whether it's their instinct to be wary and, and smart. If it's hot, the rut happens at night. And mm-hmm. that, that, that travels. That goes from South Louisiana all the way to Northern Missouri and, and beyond, in my experience. I've been in the Midwest. I was there last year with, you know, um, probably the same time you were because it was hot. It was, you know, miserably, miserable weather for a November rut midwestern hunt. And Kyler, you did it too. And it was, you know, I'm hunting private property um, that's outfitted on, and there's cameras everywhere. And there's no guessing about it. There's dang deer out there doing the rut thing every single night, and we're not seeing anything from the stand during the day. And then... I'm there for four or five days and if and a cold front finally pushes through and I see four or five shooters in two days. You know, in the middle of the day, in the morning, in the afternoon, all day long. So I think weather trumps everything and I don't know if it's because like I said the does are driving that or what, but I mean to answer your question, I don't really have an answer. There's I don't I don't honestly it's a helpless feeling. It really is to me. It's a helpless feeling when you get the opportunity whether it's your work schedule or a pre-planned hunt or whatever it is, when you get the opportunity to hunt a rut pattern where you're hunting the – the, it's not the peak of the rut. We call it the peak of the rut. The peak of the rut is not when you want to hunt. When you get to hunt the part of the rut where the deer are very, very mobile and very active, where they're chasing and they're cruising, which is really more pre-rut, when it happens that way and you get bad weather patterns, it really just sucks, and all you can do is – I think that's the risk-reward kind of um, or, or or calculated risk kind of part of hunting. When when There's only so many of those days in the year, and there's only so many of those days in the year that you get to hunt. You just have to hunt and hope that you get something early or late or, or one of those deer moves in the warm weather. But generally speaking, in my experience, Ronnie, there's nothing you can do because if it's hot, I kind of want to lean on the fact that when it warms up, the does just get less active during the daylight, and the bucks know it. So they don't move either. You know, I think it's kind of been my, my educated opinion based off observation that the rut, while there are factors that play into how a buck moves that's just strictly moon and weather and his own, you know, volition, I think the biggest factor is they have, that's their world, they live in it all day, every day. Like Kyler said a while ago, they're moving, they're doing something every day, you know, just like you are. Even on days when you're sick and at home and don't go to work, you're still at your house, you're still getting up and getting something to eat, you're still doing something, even on your most inactive day. And those deer know each other. And when you get a south wind and 75 degrees in the middle of November in the Midwest, when that happens, those bucks know that those does aren't up moving around, so they're not up moving around looking for them. They're not up following them around, you know, waiting on one of them to come into estrus. They know, and they adjust their pattern accordingly. And then at nighttime, on those warm weathers, when they go nocturnal and the does are up feeding all night, the bucks are up all night. That's why you get the pictures of them all night, cruising and chasing and doing all that. And so I don't know that there's a the good answer to what you can do about that other than hope one hope you get lucky. You really, you got to get lucky in hunting in general, but you got to get really lucky in that situation in my in my
3: opinion right
1: it's it's a yeah. bad deal <laughs> i hope none of <laughs> you experience it because last year was terrible <laughs> uh, yeah it it, it, it it's it, you know kind of circling back a little bit to something kyler said while while ago because i want to kind of put a cap on on what we were talking about there you you said that you know, you what you feel like I'm doing is optimizing my hunting, and and you're right. That's a good, that's a good broad way to to put it. But looking at that a little bit more in depth, what I what I what I find myself, and and maybe some of it has to do with I, I hate using the word career, in the same way that I hate the the term get it done. <laughs> It's not a career and it's not your job unless it is I mean, there's a few people that get paid to do hunting stuff for a living, but generally speaking, as 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 recreational hunters, it's not our job. We didn't get a job done by killing a doe on opening weekend over a feeder. And it it's not a career that you just that you're experiencing. So I don't know what we'll call it, but you know I call it a career. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not a career. <laughs> But anyway, um, I'm I, like, over the over the course, I kind of lost where I was going with this. You got me going in the wrong, wrong direction.
2: I'm glad you I'm glad you lost your way after making fun of my words.
1: Uh, no, what, <laughs> no, what we were talking, okay, we were talking about optimizing hunting. So, over my...
2: In your career. In yeah.
1: my career, in my <laughs> hunting career... it hasn't always been this way obviously it's just kind of how i've developed the the, the, like the way i like to hunt and stuff now but so one of the things that i wanted to broaden out on with what you said because i think it applies to a lot of people if you're hunting private land in the south a large majority of those people are hunting cut over thick timber managed properties when you hunt public land you get access to hunt a lot more diverse terrain and a lot more open terrain in terms of more mature hardwood, um, more uh, more of, a, what would you call it, like staged, where you still have large tracts of mature hardwoods even though they've select cut timber. They don't manage it as hard. Most guys that are hunting a private lease are probably hunting somewhere that's a pine thicket or at least a large part of it is a pine thicket. And that's totally different. It's completely different in, in in what you can find as a as a hunter that's scouting, what you can see, what you can observe, both 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 walking around scouting, sitting in a tree stand, trail cameras, it's all different when you're looking at five hundred acres of crap that a rabbit can barely live in. It's just completely different than when you're looking at a thousand acres of, you know, mature hardwood forest that's been properly select cut and it's been done in stages so that you have diverse habitat and it's just a different it's, just, it's different so when you look at the private land thing i am optimizing my hunting time but what i what i struggle with and i've struggled with this in deer leases with people for years and years most guys you have okay so i have this one stand where i'm hunting my food plot and i got this one stand that that looks over this oak flat And I've got this other stand that's on my feeder site. And you've got these locations on your private property. And you're not doing a lot of mobile stuff. Certainly not to the extent that you're doing on public ground. So if you only have, let's call, let's say a fair average, most private land hunters probably have at least four or five spots that they're going to hunt all year based off the time of the year, the weather, the day, anything, you know. They're going to hunt the food plot in the afternoon. They're going to hunt the hardwoods in the morning. Whatever. Why would you burn those spots up for days on end when it's not the right time to hunt them? If that's the only spots you have, because the rest of your lease is a three hundred acres of pine thicket and you got fifty acres of hardwood draws and food plots, why would you go sit on those spots day on, day in, day out when it's not right? When you, and then you're—is it not a diminishing return?
2: It is. I agree with you. That's why, that's why I said earlier that you had a, pri- a private land mindset to that comment. You have limited – you have a boundary. You've got an arena that you're playing in. You have 400 acres maximum, 500 acres, 1,000 acres, 100 acres. It doesn't matter. You have a finite amount of land that you're allowed to hunt. and The decisions that you make on that land dictate the outcome of whether you're successful or not. It is actually one of the biggest reasons why I don't like private land – is because of, you're limited to it. So you get a highly controlled environment with information, but you also get a very limit, limited amount of space to kind of play with. Yeah. And so it's a catch-22. Catch and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that isn't for me because I am like the never-ending explorer. I I have to know what's over the next ridge, what's on the other side of that creek, what's around the next c- corner, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, forward progress is like the most attractive part that there is about like undiscovered um, un, uh, lands, if you will. Yeah. And, and, and so like just for example, I've told you today on this podcast, some of my best spots last year are gar holes this year. Makes no sense. Hogs moved in. No bucks, been running a camera for three weeks, nothing worth shooting other than a doe with, you know, two fawns that are still in spots or something like that. And so if that was me on private land, I would feel like, well, shit, like, what, what am I going to do this season? I got nothing. I know but, how that feels. But, I'm, but I don't feel that way because now I'm in like, okay, you got all this land. You just got to find out. You got to find a new, a new buck to, to, to hunt. You got to go to a new place, hang cameras, different places, hone in on it, et cetera, et cetera. And so I don't disagree with your hunting style. If I hunted public, private land and I hunted a controlled environment, I would be right there with you. And I've done that. I've hunted small tracks. I've hunted places where I feel like if I breathe the wrong way walking through them, I'm going to ruin the whole place. But that's one of the things I love about private land. Uh, about hunting public land. Excuse me, is that there's always another spot? Um, the the unknown, like the big you know elephant in the room of the downside of public land is you don't know who's been there. Also, you don't know who you don't know when somebody else is messing you up. Um, and that doesn't typically happen to me. Like like where I have like other people affecting my hunts or an area. But on Saturday, um, I had some guys at four fifteen walk within 75 yards of me. They, they kind of like came down this little trail and they, I, I think they found them a little honey hole and I had crossed the swamp to get to this spot. And they came in by e-bike and then walked and they were just talking out loud. Like we're all talking here you know like we're bullshitting at the camp and if they came another 25 or 30 yards i probably would have like whistled or like hey get out of here but they turn around but that was kind of frustrating to me and that doesn't happen very often that i'm I'm pretty far back here guys like so are you but number one it's a cold front weekend why are you scouting at four fifteen on a saturday on public land that ain't that ain't the time guys like go get out of here so um yeah. Anyway, that, that would be would the downfall. Me. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see anything. But the na-
1: the neighbors do that on private land too. So <laughs>
2: sure. Yeah. Pro- yeah private <laughs> the neighbor. Land.
1: The neighbor decides to walk his fence line at four fifteen on the first cold front instead of sitting in the stand.
2: Or you get you get guys that aren't bow hunters that they 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 come out to their you know their lease or their property and they want to shoot somehow they have money to blow with ammo prices these days and they want to shoot three hundred rounds of a 223 at a Target with their, you know, at two 230 on a Saturday afternoon. It's It like, sounds like a gun range out here. So there's downsides, ups and downs to both of them. Yeah. But um, anyway, um, yeah, I, I just – I'm trying to – I'm finally figuring out – feeling like I'm honing in on something now, as of some photos that I've gotten this weekend. I finally feel like I got them out. I got them out when um, – there wasn't much movement and I'm hoping that there's some good movement coming now. Um, and, um, finally got some bucks that are worth hunting at two bucks that are worth honing in on now. So I'm probably going to pull some cameras from dead zones and kind of surround hopefully what I think is a a bucks home range. Um, we'll we'll see what happens.
1: I, I had a disappointing weekend in terms of having success seeing deer from the stand, but, um, I am hopeful because of what we experienced Saturday morning, with a lot more deer being seen from the stand uh, on that hunt in a place where I've been running cameras, and and oddly enough, Ronnie, your story, you know, was not planned, but it 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 is it, it kind of fits what I'm dealing with, and it it makes me hopeful too because I've got I got a couple of good deer on camera, and, and just one or two on a regular basis. And I'm thinking to myself, just given the layout and the landscape, there's got to be other deer, you know, other mature deer that I'm not getting pictures of. And I and I and I believe there is. But I mean, you know, looking back at the comments I made earlier, I do believe that. I, I run the cameras. I enjoy running cameras partly because it's just fun to know what I have and manage land. But I don't believe that strongly in them, um, in terms of of the overall picture and what you shared with, you know, shooting a buck. And then seeing another buck that were all big bucks that you didn't have pictures of while you're hunting the one that you had a picture of that's that's encouraging and and I guess as we kind of wrap up here, I, I, Ronnie, I want to I want to kind of end with you. I think it's very interesting, you know, having you on right now, kind of three weeks into someone who's experiencing a major change in your hunting style, going from uh, doing more public land hunting to to actually having a lease and, and, and feeders and more set stuff. What what are some of your observations based off some of the things we've talked about and, and kind of how do you feel like that's going? What what given, given three weeks and some opportunities to hunt, how are you feeling about this transition, this change?
3: Well, it might hurt some feelings, but I kind of feel lazy now, to be honest with you. Because before hunting public land, I was just constantly just bouncing around I never would hunt, you know, the same tree twice and just constantly scouting, finding new feed trees and hunting, and that's how I always did early season, and now I've got a camera sit on the feeder a big old, with, a you know, a big buck, and I don't want to leave. I just want to keep going back to that same spot and hunting him, you know. I'm not I'm not bouncing around, you know. I mean, I, I went to a couple other spots that, you know, I've had pictures at and all, but yeah, I mean, it kind of made me lazy, but I mean... I feel like, even though I haven't killed one, I mean it, it's going you know pretty decent. I mean, I shot one, did find it, and I'm al- I already seen a, a big one yesterday, or to I me mean, this morning. So, hopefully, I can go back again in the morning, and I'm gonna go to where I, last where I saw him. So, hopefully, it works out good. Is this is uh,
1: is this situation where you're leasing the property, or is this like a are you you have a group of people as a club type it, environment?
3: I'm on a big lease. Yeah, okay. it's. it's for- but there's not a lot of many people that hunt it, and I have like kind of this whole big section over here myself because it's it's down in the big creek bottom, and the creek bottom floods, and no one likes to mess with it. So I'm like, well, wow, that, that's right up my alley. I, I hunt a, a big yeah. island on, on the river, so water. I mean, that's that's all me.
1: Well, I I'm afraid, like to your point, that style of hunting does lure you into. I hate to call it lazy because I'm I ain't I'm not calling anybody out cuz I do the same thing and it's it's partially I think what, what Kyler has alluded to when he talks about his perception of the comparison between the two the deer don't know the de- the deer doesn't know he's on private land or he's on public land and I think sometimes maybe not consciously but subconsciously we don't we we forget that And you end up with this false sense of security, kind of subconscious false sense of security that, you know, I'm hunting a deer that's undisturbed, that, you know, this is private land. I'm taking his picture all the time. He's always going to be there where... When you're hunting public land, maybe you get a picture of a buck, but you don't have the ability to go put a feeder out and take his picture all the time, so it's a lot less likely. He still might be in the same area just as frequently as your buck is. You just don't really have the facility and the access to take his picture on a daily basis the way you do if you stick a feeder in his bedroom, you know? Right. Um, and yep. so it sucks you into, and we're calling it lazy, but you could probably call it a couple of different things. It sucks you into this hunting the, you know, like you said, it's just kind of sticking to it because you're basically, you're being shown what you're not able to see when you hunt another way or when you hunt public land. And and you have that ability because nobody's disturbing the deer and you're able to go in there and put a feeder in there so that he's there every day. And I, and I think it, I don't think it's lazy, Ronnie. I think it, here's, as crazy as this is to say, because it and I and, and I'm going to preface it by saying I'm lending myself back to some of the things I've already said, but it takes a lot of discipline, and that's why I'm going to say, um, say it the way I'm going to say it. It's actually lazy to just go and sit in a place where you got a picture of a deer, no matter what the conditions are, no matter what the situations are, and just convince yourself that that deer is dumb enough to let you, especially if we're talking about a, a a bigger buck, you know, an old, I'm not talking about just any deer, but you're hunting a big buck, right? He's big and he's old and he's smart for a reason. And you're going to take the approach of, well, I can't kill him at the couch. So you're just going to go sit over that feeder all day, every day, or every hunt, maybe not all day, but you're going to go sit there no matter what the conditions are until he finally messes up. I mean, how many times you hear that? He's fin- he. One day he's eventually going to slip up. Well, no, I would say that one day he's eventually going to get enough of your shit and stop showing up. <laughs> yeah. Is what I would say. So it's sure. kind of lazy in a way to hunt that way, because if you do, you're you know you're 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 not exhibiting the kind of self discipline it takes to, you know put in the work to not blow the spot up and just roll the dice and make your hunting about nothing but a roll of the dice and you might say well how can you call that lazy i'm actually putting in the hours i'm hunting i'm sacrificing time doing all these other things to make sure i'm in that stand as often as possible but that i don't know i don't know if i'm making any sense in the way
2: i'm saying that but to
1: me there's a laziness to that
2: and you're you're equating laziness to not giving enough consideration for why you're do it, doing or not doing something, right? But it's like, the easy can, way out,
1: too. It's, yeah. e- it's it's easy. It's easy to say, well, I got his picture again last night. Let me just go sit there again. Even though, like, why? Like, this is not the right wind. This is not the right time of the year. Yeah, you got his picture at night, and that's the only time he's coming at night because he knows you're there every day.
2: So yeah. uh, I, I learned something a long time ago when when I worked for a company called Fastenal. I was there for 10 years. And I, this is a great story that I've equated to a lot, or equated that I've um, applied to a lot of other aspects of my life. Very quick story. Um, the president of the company is visiting a guy that runs a Fastenal branch in like New England, way up northeast, uh, northeast uh, United States. And guy's crushing him, hitting his numbers, doing great, doing fantastic. He's blowing gold out of the water every month, every month, having a huge year. President comes in and says, hey, tell me what's going on in your business. The GM says, oh, we've got this going on. This is going great. This customer's doing this. We're hitting our number, et cetera, et cetera. And the guy says, well, why are you successful? The, the president says, why are you successful? And the guy was like, yeah, didn't you hear me the first time? We've got this and this and this happening. This is why we're successful. Because I don't think you understand. Why are you successful? Why is this happening to you now? Why is this working so well? And the GM, general manager, had no response. And, and the GM later became a trainer. That's how I got this story. He was a, like an employee trainer. And he said, this is the GM that was telling me this story. He said, I couldn't tell the president of my company why I was doing so well. I could only tell him that I was doing so well. But I didn't know why. I didn't know why I was successful. And I confused results with plans and um ultimately if you take that same mindset towards the woods i would you know i might be a stretch but i would say that the three of us are fairly accomplished deer hunters right we're not i mean i know ronnie goes to different places every year and slays a couple of hammers and lock you do the same thing i like to pretend that i know how to kill deer and i know for a fact that if any of us killed any deer, not just a nice deer, but any deer, I could tell you exactly why. Like why that plan worked on that day. Why were we successful? And Locke, the guy that you're talking about that you're calling lazy, I think what you're saying is that he's not, he couldn't tell you why he's successful. He can only tell you that he tries repeatedly. And that's not a plan. Trying is not a plan. Hunting is not a plan. In fact, sometimes knowing where not to hunt on certain days is more important than, than, um, than being there on stand, hoping a deer slips up and comes in on a different wind direction that day or something. So I would actually say that if you have a solid plan or what I consider, what I call considerations, if you've taken everything into consideration, and you've decided that this is where you need to be on this day and this wind on this weather pattern, you can tell me why that plan worked. But if you can't, like if you can't tell the story as to why something worked out in your favor, that's just luck. Like in my opinion, you got lucky because luck is something that happens to you. Luck is never like, um, you know, nobody, nobody that is, really deliberate of their actions considers themselves lucky because they took all the components of that day or that hunt or that spot or that wind or that deer into consideration and they built a plan around it and when it worked everything points back to the plan when it doesn't that doesn't mean that the plan failed it means that you know you still got another party you're your, your um, dependent on you, the deer still has to do something too, but that doesn't mean that you ruin the spot or you can ruin a spot with a terrible plant, You know? Yeah. Um, I think so that's, kind of I, think long, that's I think that
1: happens. That probably happens to more deer hunters in every scenario. Um, sure. cause like we said, we don't ever get good at it. We just get less bad at it, hopefully. And so yeah. we make mistakes, whether we're a mobile public land hunter or we're a private land manager, we make mistakes and we have to learn from them. And I think that your story um, about the, uh, you know, the having a plan and, and understanding why you're successful, I think what's so important, which I'm just going to mention it because I think it's, it's so important, the uh, kind of the, the last thing to say about that. The reason that that story is so applicable and it's so important is because when you find yourself in the situation of that general manager, When the success runs out and you don't know why you had it, then you don't know how to fix it. You don't know how to continue being successful. If you don't know how you became successful to begin with, you don't know how to weather the changes and the difficulties and continue to be successful. You're just a product of, like you just said, luck. You're lucky to be in the spot you're in, in the situation you're in, at the time you're there and everything is going to work out for you in life and work and hunting and whatever. And so that's why it's so very important and I think um it 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 applies well. Um and it applies it, it is a lot of what what I was trying to say if <laughs> whether I said it all correctly or not. But um okay. but yeah, so anyway guys, it's it's been an hour and a half. I think it's been a great conversation to kind of benchmark where we're at in the season i think there's probably a lot of guys that are sitting in a tree stand thinking about some of the things we talked about kind of uh, planning their next move like you know uh, obviously things are going to change now um the deer that you're hunting in every case whether it's in a pine thicket or a mature hardwood forest or or ag country you know the deer are gonna change. Um, the weather's changing now, and the the there's no more summer feed pattern, and there's gonna be rut cycles starting and and progressing, and you know you got to be prepared for that. And um, I think that Kyler kind of wrapping up on one of the points that 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 you said originally. It's been my experience, and I think people should probably. Um, learn from history because even though this year that persimmon tree may be a week later or those oak trees may be falling a couple of weeks different than they did last year in the grand scheme of things between now and the end of the season i do think there's change in the environment call it climate change or whatever but i think it's so small and it's so slow that a smart hunter learns from years past even if there's slight variances that might change the way you hunt this weekend as opposed to how you would have normally hunted on the third weekend of october over the big Mm -hmm. picture over the next couple of months as you start to bow hunt during rifle season or as you travel up to the midwest to hunt the rut um you know or whatever the case may be lean on your previous experience especially if you hunt a familiar piece of property whether that's public land you've been hunting for years or private land that that you've been hunting for years What you've experienced in the past is going to come to fruition. And similarly, I I believe that Uh, my years of hunting experience have taught me that things don't change that much, you know, even, even through the, the bobs and weaves of, of every different year, given weather and and stuff like that. So I'm excited. I'm excited because, um, things are going to change, but, and then that, and to me anyway, they're going to change for the better. Because I don't really care that much about hunt and feed pattern summer deer, and um it's about to get interesting but to have to put your take your uh your wits about you and figure them out and you can uh you can be really successful so if you you guys got anything else before we wrap up i have I have
2: one i have one last thing that I want to add, and that is what the definition of career is okay uh the definition of career is an undertaking of a specific period of a person's life with opportunities for progress. So meaning like doing something in a specific direction, upwards and onwards for a specific, for a long period of time. That's why I use the word career for bow hunting. I can't think of a better word. I know that we're not paid for it. That's your point. Just like get it, got it done. Got it done means like you finished the job, right? How much did you get paid to kill that deer? Um, but uh, I hate got it done. Also, but I call it a bow hunting career just because I feel like it's a continual pursuit uh, upward and onward in uh, a direction of of um, progress, if you will. So fair enough, fair enough.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I, it you I'm not nearly as bullish on you. So I'm not bullish at all on using the word career. It's just I'm always searching for a. What I think would be a better word and and oftentimes, as I did in this podcast, I can't come up with it, so I end up using that word anyway. I'm not mm-hmm. nearly as bullish on that as some of the other cliche sayings that uh, that that identify a certain i don't know what i i i guess i'm i'm being i'm kind of being a a douche about it when I say that, but um <laughs> it, 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 it identifies this like cultural mindset that I think is just not that great. I just, I don't like it. Like, like you, it's not your job to go kill deer. It's not like, I mean, so I don't know. Like you, you you had an opportunity and it's exciting and it's great, but it wasn't your job. So it wasn't anyway, let's not, let's not rabbit hole that. (laughs) I hope everybody enjoyed the cold weather and Ronnie, thank you for stepping in here and jumping on this podcast with us and having a little conversation. Hope you get that big deer or both of them maybe. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, update us we'll we'll uh, be glad to use your content on louisiana bowhunter along with any of the rest of you that are listening please send us your pictures you want us to drop us uh drop us a a dm or an email at info at louisiana com. send me your pictures video clips and uh i guess on, on on a note on that i've had a couple of different people that have messaged us on social media and say hey you know they'll send me a video or something on social media and Specifically Instagram, and say, "Hey, can you post this?" Well, no, I really can't. You got to email it to me. Uh, it's hard for me to extract it off of a private message um, on social media. So, if you want, you, you know, you got something that you'd like for us to consider sharing on our page or on our story, we love doing that, and we love sharing your your stuff, and we'll uh, uh, always consider it. But it would be best, especially with video clips, to send to info at louisianabowhunter dot com and go to the website and check out the new gear, check out the new hats. New shirts and and uh, other apparel coming soon and uh, until then guys thanks again and good luck the rest of the season we'll talk to you next well we'll talk to you later this week we're going to drop two this week so be looking for second web episode of the week on Friday.